sometimes when we come back after a, after a little bit of time away, so to speak, you know, we can come back to like a hot and heavy news cycle with a lot of stuff going on and we came back to one this time. I really, I have to get this out right away. This could not be more relevant to the lives that we lead right now. Lucas, new Teletubbies. Come to Netflix. I mean, it's definitely relevant to you. I don't know if I'll be tuning in to the new... T I, I mean, I, I suppose I should check it out to see... Okay, this is the main, my biggest question with the new Teletubbies. Yep. This is my number one question. Yes. When they show the little live-action segments on the Teletubbies' bellies, are they just going to show the same one twice in a row still? Even though Ooh. it is a streamed mm. video... Where if a kid just wanted to see it the second time, they could press the back 30 seconds button on their Netflix <laughs> and have that experience without having their intelligence insulted by having it just shown twice in a row. And, that's and very, the Teletubbies saying again, again. That's very true. It's never been easier to go back and just watch a segment again. I'd like to think that they have that in mind, uh, especially with the with the data that Netflix has at its at its fingertips. But like, come on, it's we got we got Titus Burgess on the show. We got new Teletubbies. It's on Netflix. I already have Netflix. Like this is this is one of the biggest things in in my world right now. And uh, I, I yeah. So anyway, I guess we have other things to talk about. Maybe. You know, I wonder. If, I notes. wonder if that makes. I wonder if that makes a difference. It's interesting because it's like, you know, kids don't operate off nostalgia. They operate off what they like. Yeah. So does Teletubbies in a modern context still work? Or you know, do kids of these days they don't want to watch Teletubbies? They want to watch PJ Masks, or they mm. want to watch um, what's that doctor show? Uh, oh, uh, 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 Doc McStuffins. They want to watch Doc McStuffins. They want to watch the Paw Patrol. Or maybe they don't even want to watch TV at all anymore. They want to watch I Show Speed. Uh, talk what? to Talking Ben on on uh, YouTube Live. You know what I mean? They want to they want to see people call um, Baldi's Basics at three a.m. and see if if something spooky happens. This, this is this is what kids want these days. The, the, Old media, you know, a 20-minute a television show is passe for them. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they just want to watch slime and unboxing videos. I really don't know. You've got to be making some of this stuff up. It just, oh, I've never felt older. Then here on Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. Uh, my name is Will Young. Lucas Mancini is my co-host. Real quick, this is coming to you on Friday, September 16th. And this is the last time we're going to talk about it. For this year. Uh, that is the Coast's Best of Halifax Awards. You can vote for us to be best podcast until end of day, Sunday, September 18th. And don't wait for end of day, just in case I'm wrong about that. Sunday, September 18th <laughs> is the last voting day. So vote early. Vote. Well, I think you can only vote once. But vote early and uh, let us know if you do and we will give you a big thank you. And an additional big thank you to everybody who has voted for us from the nomination period through to the voting process. After the 18th, we just have to wait and see how everything unfolds. So again, that's Sunday, September 18th, the last day to go to vote.thecoast.ca to vote for Elwood City Limits as best podcast. Please and thank you. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And uh, want to say an additional thank you as well. 
to uh, one of our latest five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. You see, this is why you should be voting for us. We're a five-star uh. show uh, from <laughs> Apple Podcast user Jekyll Jekyll Hyde. So, hmm, hmm, hmm. Where have I heard that before? Thank you very much for the five-star review. Lucas, it has been a while, and you can tell because I'm carrying quite the load under my arm, and that is the load from the Elwood City Limits Gmail inbox, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. We've got a couple of emails to talk about before we get back into the swing of things with Arthur. Our first email comes to us from Eduardo. Hello, Elwood City Limits. First, I want to say that I love the podcast. Like many others, I also grew up with Arthur. It's been with me my entire life. I also find it crazy and almost poetic how we were given the finale, with Arthur entering adulthood around the same time that I did. But that's besides the point. I want to bring up an inconsistency that I'm not sure if you guys have noticed yet. Throughout the show, we see Arthur and his friends hang out in Arthur's treehouse. Or is it his? At some points, we see the treehouse in his backyard, but at other times, it seems to be located somewhere deep into some kind of forest area. I've thought about this for years now, and the Arthur Wiki doesn't have too much information about why this might be. What do you think? So, Lucas, I have never, I've never really thought that this is Arthur's treehouse, personally. It's, I feel like we've addressed this in the early, early seasons where the treehouse doesn't, it, it seems to be in some sort of like nondescript, it almost feels like it's in a field sometimes. Like it's not even in a forest. It's in a field where there's nothing else except for this big tree in the treehouse. But then there's other episodes. I'm thinking, for instance, the one where they're having the family reunion and Arthur goes on that like Metal Gear mission where he's like spying. He's spying on the family reunion from the treehouse, if you remember correctly. That's right. Um, but well, no, I can't oh, remember. No, no actually, I'm, I'm sorry. I have to call you on that. He's just in a tree in that one. He's not in the treehouse. Oh really? Okay, so maybe I'm misremembering. I thought he was in the in the treehouse. Okay, well that makes more sense then, because uh, yeah, I I I, I'm, I I feel like I'm conflating Arthur's treehouse with like the treehouse from The Simpsons at this point. Right. They feel like they're in similar similar spaces, uh, equidistant from Arthur's property or whatever. At like as as far as the treehouse of The Simpsons is from Bart's house. Um, but yeah, there's certain shots where the treehouse looks like it's in the middle of nowhere. And it's in the middle of this field. So I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I, I would have to. I feel like we did talk about this before, though, in some of the earlier episodes. I think they got a little bit more consistent with how the treehouse is portrayed later on. But I think in some of those early seasons, it does feel like it fluctuates. It could be. It's You, n- you never really notice the parts of it that's around. And really, the establishing shots of the treehouse are kind of a season one, season two kind of thing. And really, the treehouse, now that I think about it, Kind of less and less you see of it as the show goes on. It seems to be, and this is definitely in keeping with the spirit of Arthur, a communal space. So it's somewhere that any of the kids can go to, and you would have to imagine it's somewhere where they each can equally get to it via walking or biking or whatever. Where exactly that is, I'm not sure. Uh, You know, we've already determined the location of Elwood City Limits. Maybe now's the time... And I don't have the time for this. I'm saying, I'm saying to you. I'm, I'm reaching out to you. Maybe we can get a like a map going, a map of yeah. Elwood City Limits. If we don't have one already, which I got to imagine, there's got to be some kind of fan-made Elwood City map out there. You, you make a good point, though, that there are multiple times on the show where Arthur is meeting someone who's already in the treehouse. Which would lead me to think that it's not on his parents' property, because it's like, why the heck is Brain... 
you know, just hanging out in the 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 Reed's backyard, right? Yeah, it's 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 a little it's a little odd. Uh, our next one is from Anonymous. Have you guys ever heard of the Odd One is Out before? He's a pretty popular YouTuber, 18 million subscribers, animator who mainly talks about his life growing up. The reason I mention him is he made a great video a couple of years ago on his favorite PBS shows, many including Arthur you've talked about before. Yes, I just wanted to make sure to mention this because I checked out that video as well. Uh, yeah, the Odd One is Out, very popular uh, YouTuber. I've seen a few of their videos. Uh, and the PBS video is is fun. There's a lot of Arthur in there. It is very surface level so don't expect any uh you know it, it and it, it happens a lot and it, it especially happened within the last year or so of people rediscovering arthur and being like yeah did you well, did you know that arthur was always this weird and i'm like yeah it's basically my job to know that so <laughs> <laughs> uh but thank you for the recommendation Next one's from Caitlin. Hi there, Will and Lucas. I discovered your podcast over the pandemic two years ago, literally by typing Arthur Reed into my Apple podcast search box, and I'm so glad I did. Yes, SEO works. My partner has more than once heard me laughing to myself while I wander around the house doing chores and listening to the show. I have a lot of different podcasts in my rotation, including You're Wrong About and Maintenance Phase. Great shows. So I'm working my way through ECL slowly but surely. Some of my standouts so far. Episode 39, Arthur gets on the public bus. There is an insinuation of public transit being inherently dangerous or scary. As a person who grew up in New York City taking public transit everywhere, I appreciated Arthur tackling this socioeconomic class stereotype in a creative and organic way. And, you know, Lucas, I think I've mentioned this on the show before. It took me a long time before I even really understood how to use the bus because I was very lucky to grow up in a family where we had access to cars and I didn't start using the bus regularly until uh, university. So uh, it, it hasn't been a part of my life for long, but I, you know, my partner is very, very um, passionate about public transportation. And over the years, I've come to understand just how important it is to uh, to a living space to have this being offered. Mm. And uh, I'm all for it. No, oh, yeah, me as well. Uh, I, I think I l learned to use the bus a little bit earlier than you because I was uh, taking the bus to junior high back in the day. So I feel like that's when I first started uh, taking the bus by myself in earnest. Hmm. Episode 48 DW's Bad Mood. Please tell me you have all seen the Attack on Titan meme for this intro. I think we might have even made one. I also have a theory as to why Arthur's parents seem to be much more lenient with DW than with Arthur. And Lucas, I think you've said this one. Arthur is the <laughs> oldest. As the oldest, my parents were much stricter with me and afterwards became much more chill and let my sisters do things I couldn't do at their age. I think eldest children are much more prone to anxiety slash perfectionism because there's so much pressure on you as the first to do everything. My theory is this. Jane and David are no doubt aware of Arthur's crippling anxiety and maybe have some guilt about contributing to it. DW is a much more self-assured, self-confident child, and I like to believe that's because Jane and David made an intentional choice to parent her differently. Of course, the issue now maybe that they overcorrected because as we all know dw can be quite overbearing would love to hear your thoughts on this sending you all my best wishes hoping you're staying safe and healthy and like i said lucas you you've kind of been onto that track before and i think that that's actually a pretty um well measured take on this whole conversation that we come back to every once in a while i i agree and the only thing i would add is that not only do they parent differently because arthur's the oldest they also parent differently because dw is four 
And so you treat a four-year-old different than you treat an eight-year-old or an 11-year-old. I know I say this every time the DW discourse comes up, but I, I mean, that's really the issue I take with everybody with these DW takes is like, you're really going to... I feel like you guys need to hang out with four-year-olds more and understand how four-year-olds <laughs> operate because they don't respond to constructive criticism the same way uh, someone with a more developed brain will. You know, a four-year-old might just go crazy and just poop on the floor and draw on the walls. This is not something that you would expect an eight-year-old to do uh, within reason. Um, so you you uh, parent them accordingly. Uh but uh, so that's always I, I agree with their, our, our listener who wrote in. But I also think that's a big factor as well. Yeah, exactly. Next one's from Caleb. Hi, Will, Lucas and Mike. I wanted to start off with a question for Lucas. Not sure if you remember, but there was an episode back in season nine called Buster the Mythmaker about Buster investigating online rumors about tigers in Elwood City. You were absent for the episode covering it, and I was wondering if you watched it and had any thoughts on it. It's one of the episodes that dives deepest into Buster's fascination with conspiracies, and I know how much that both amuses and frightens you. Lucas, did you did you watch that one afterwards? No, I don't think I have. I should check it out, though, because that is one of my favorite conversation, ongoing conversations we've had about, you know, is Buster going to become a flat earther? <laughs> uh, <laughs> or all these other like, kind of real world conspiracies, you know, is, is Buster going to be on 4chan slash X looking up whatever creepypasta is real or not? Is he? These are all questions I have. And so I'm interested in anything that kind of tackles that. Well, yeah. So again, season nine, Buster the Mythmaker. Uh, check that out. Uh, I think I think you you might especially like it. Uh, Will attempting to mimic Arthur's voice while reciting a little of the Metal Gear Solid Four opening monologue a few episodes ago cracked me up. I've even forgotten what even forgotten that. <laughs> okay. Uh, since I know you both are Metal Gear fans, I was wondering if you had ever listened to the podcast Metal Gear Mondays. It sadly ended recently and went through some host changes over the years. But the three guys who hosted it for the majority of its run had a great chemistry with each other. That reminds me of you two, not so much of Mike. It's a great listen if you want to hear some funny and insightful discussion about the games and some interviews with people who worked on them, or if you're a newcomer curious about the series. Thank you for the suggestion. I also wanted to let you know I voted for you in the Best of Halifax Awards. Best of luck. Have a wonderful kind of day. Thank you so much, Caleb. We really appreciate that you did that. Next one is from Neo. Dear Will and Lucas, I remember all the way back during season one or season two of the podcast, Lucas said he had found a variation of the Arthur theme and read the lyrics out loud. Okay, this is a bit of a this is a bit of a mystery that maybe you listeners can help us with. So Lucas found a variation of the Arthur theme, read the lyrics out loud. Both of you said that whoever can do it, make it an actual thing. I've been trying to look for that episode so I could get the Gen Z lyrics down for the Arthur theme that Lucas read out. And I wonder if you could remember which episode that was so I could make this a reality. P.S. Keep up the good work. Um, I posed this to the Discord and like, goodness knows my memory is terrible enough. I couldn't think of it. They were drawing up blanks. If you remember what they're talking about, if you remember this episode or even just what bit Lucas was doing, like, please email in or message yeah, us and I, let I, us know. I'm a little bit confused. Like, was I reading alternative lyrics to the Arthur theme that we, like, found or was I just coming up with them? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Don't like, either this. either one is plausible. Like, I could see you mm. doing that as a bit. I don't know. So we would really appreciate if anybody remembers the specific details here. Next one is from Kat. Hello, Will and Lucas. Hope y'all are well. Recently, I've been thinking about the music that's appeared on Arthur and in Arthur Media. I was wondering, what are y'all's favorite songs from Arthur? For me, I think it'd be Nothing But The Music by You Stink, You Can Fly If You Try, 
which Francine sang in To Beat or Not to Beat, and the Carmen medley from Lights, Camera, Opera, and the short duet Buster and Francine did in music class in Bully for Binky. My honorable mention would be DW's rendition of The First Noel from the Christmas album. Looking forward to y'all's favorites. Cat, that's an awesome shout-out, the little duet that for drums and tuba that they did in Bully for Binky. I think about that one a lot. Other original Arthur compositions... Um, I'm a big fan of Buster's beatboxing from the Almost huh. Live Not Real Music Festival. I, again, something else I think about quite a lot. I'm a video, boom, 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 and I'm almost over. Uh, of course, the the hit single by Binky, uh, where they go wee 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 wee, and um, I mean all the classics. Um, you know, having fun isn't hard when you got a library card. Uh, just a little homework tonight oh, uh, is quite, you know, we got to get some crooners uh, to do a cover of just a little homework tonight. Uh, just a little homework. Um, but there's almost too many to mention. And, and something I I'd actually really like to highlight is a lot of the background music compositions. Um, I found a pretty good playlist on YouTube uh, this must have been, you know, over six months ago, but um, that has kind of all of the, the Arthur official soundtrack, the Arthur OST, if you will. Um, and some of those compositions are, it's just kind of good jazz music. Uh, and it's, it's surprisingly enough stands on its own. Um, so that would be kind of my left field take as well. A lot of the songs from uh, Arthur's, uh, the first Arthur tape are also very much ingrained in my memory. Um, would love to hear this from other listeners as well. Uh, next one is from The Lion Dog. Dear Will and Lucas, it's been a while since I've emailed you guys. I thought I'd email you with info on George. While listening to your episode on the silent treatment, it occurred to me how much sense it makes to put George in it's an into an It's a Wonderful Life scenario, the movie It's a Wonderful Life, as he shares a name with the film's title character. That's true. Ah, oh, George. Also, in 15, there's a continuity <laughs> error that has bothered me ever since I was a kid watching the episode. In the episode, we see a flashback to when George first got Wally as a Christmas present from his dad. However, in Arthur's Dummy Disaster, Wally's debut episode, George presents him as a project he and his dad built together. Mmm, little refle- little retcon going on there. Yeah. I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. (laughs) Lastly, with Halloween approaching, what is your favorite Arthur Halloween-themed episode? Like, What Scared Stu Ellen, The Fright Stuff, Fernkenstein's Monster, Hick or Treat, or Arthur and the Haunted Treehouse? Curious to hear your comparisons of these episodes. Have a great day. Um... I do really like What Scared Sue Ellen. I was actually thinking of that recently. I feel like I don't I don't listen back to ECLs all that often, but I feel like sometime this year or it might have been last year, I watched that episode and I was like, "What did we have to say about that?" And I li- and I listened back to it. It was great great fun. I really like that episode. Um the fright stuff is also I mean, you you mentioned a couple of good ones right off the bat. And again, I'm very biased towards old Arthur. Uh the fright stuff, I just love the stuff with the ghosts in it and um both of them have a really good take on like storytelling and pranks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So those come so those come to mind with, for me. I'm so bad with episode names. Which is the one where they go to the party at the mansion? I, I it's like a party at Muffy's and there's all the like secret rooms and they try to prank someone. Yes, I think that's I think that's the fright stuff. Okay, okay. Um, I, I, I'm I'm partial to that one. Also, what's the one where? Um, 
is it like Binky's embarrassed about reading the scarier pants off books? He doesn't want people to know he's reading. And so there's the, the disgusting hand and, and voice that's like describing, uh, well, that, uh what's so happened. That, that's on the Halloween episode. That's the, oh. that's the, uh, one with the mysterious hand. The one with the mysterious hand. honorary Halloween episode. It's a little bit spooky. It's, it's a, uh, let's, you know, it, it rides that line between horror and thriller. Let's say. Sure. Um, in terms of n- a little bit newer Halloween episodes, I don't know. Like some of them, like if you Google search Arthur Halloween, it's all the haunted tree house. And then the book Arthur's Halloween, which bad SEO going on here. Clearly they need to learn a thing or two from us. We, we've done commentary for the haunted tree house spoilers. I mean, it's like new, new Arthur. So uh. other Arthur Halloween episodes. I don't know. Like those two I think of, and then, were there other like they're, they're, like the lion dog mentioned some other ones, but those ones don't stick in my memory as much again because I'm old and I remember old Arthur. So sorry to disappoint, but uh, yeah, again, if we have any other big Halloween episodes that we missed, let us know. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com is where you can do that. Thank you, everybody, for your emails. We also want to send out a big thank you to our patrons who got to hear from us after our little summer break first because we had a Patreon episode of For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast all about The Electric Company. Both versions, the 70s and the late 2000s versions of The Electric Company. We had a good time talking about them. I definitely recommend that you listen, patrons, if you haven't yet or if you're not a patron, go to patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Pay what you want. There are dozens of episodes of that show, and there uh, are going to be even more very soon. We have patrons that have joined us more recently, such as Alonso Espinosa and Mumata. We also have newer patrons, such as Melissa H., Cecil Robinson, Mar- Maria Gisselquist, uh, Grace Cole, Wasatch Wind, Z, Wolf Lover, Zodiac, and KDP, Uriel Underwood, and then and we have some classic names like Josh Andelo, Rory Forever, JP, Anthony Williams, Alex K, The Flying Sparks 32. We have Revved and Owen and Daniel Uptograph, Rachel Pearson, Lily W, Kevin Noon, Ross Ward, and we have Froppy. These are these are these are certified bona fide classics. John Griswold, Light Relentless, and Ian Collis, among many others. Thank you all for your patronage and support. And now it's time to get back to the reason we're all here, and that is Arthur. Lucas, I want to hold your hand. (laughs) You want to hold my hand? Yeah, much to my surprise, this was not a Beatles-themed Arthur episode. Uh, We did not get Arthurized versions of the four mop-top lads from Liverpool. Uh, Instead, it was about something completely different. Yes, uh, I hope you understand that it's not quite that's where the episode's going. So the cold open is Arthur asking if, or telling us about how sometimes it's easy to know when you've outgrown something. And this, in this case, it's DW having outgrown the stroller, but still asking Arthur to push her and acting like a baby. Uh, so DW is, and it's clearly a game she's playing, but also... Yeah, she's too big for that stroller. That's Baby Kate's stroller. She's stretching it out. Yeah, it's true. This was uh, good fodder for all the DW haters out there in the Elwood City Faithful. <laughs> I was like, this is pretty annoying. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> no, if, yeah, it, it very much so. Like, we we all have our limits, and this this is very much DW serving a purpose to, uh, to be this annoying, and it's only the cold open. So the reality of the situation is very reflexive, as, we, as, as we've discovered. 
easy to know when you've outgrown something, uh, which we follow into the Binky story. It's a Binky episode. Uh, Binky's got a big music recital coming up, and his mom takes him to get a nice tie to go along with his suit. A um, couple of these ties. We get some wacky ties. One of them looks like the pants that Patrick Starr wears. Um, yeah, some of these ties are very like um, like Buckaroo Bonsai or something. These are some new wave looking ties. How would something look Buckaroo Bonsai for those who haven't seen it? I, I, it's hard. It's I see. I picked Buckaroo Bonsai because there's no real <laughs> other way to put it. Um, Buckaroo Bonsai. Uh, I, what is the subtitle of that movie? Buckaroo Bonsai and the something something. Ah, across the eighth dimension. Um, I, look it up, folks. If you're too young to remember Buckaroo Bonsai, he wears some wacky, crazy ties. It's something. I I have yet to see it in full, but I've seen it discussed about. The entire thing here is that after they get the tie. Binky, he holds hands with his mom coming out of the store, and he sees George seeing him. And we get actually, so we talk a lot about Arthur's anxiety. We get a lot of Binky anxiety in this episode. Um, in fact, we get like this visual representation of like Binky looks at George, and George looks at Binky, and then Binky looks back at George, and George looks back at Binky, and he's like, yeah. It was actually cool. Like, it's very frenetic in a way that Arthur usually isn't. Uh, it's true, and yeah, they do a good job of using almost the cinematic language of conveying that, like, oh, Binky's freaking out, and then we have the camera kind of do this weird, like, crash zoom on George, uh, but I was a little bit distracted by, what is this juice stand that George is sitting at? It's like, I, the setup doesn't make any sense to me, there's these big jars... Uh, and they each correspond to, like, a flavor of juice. There's, like, cherries and bananas. Uh, but the... Okay, what I... See, it goes by so fast, I barely got to look at it. They looked empty. They look kind of, like, see-through. I couldn't tell if there was actually juice in them or if that's just, like, the color of the window behind the glass. Um, but there's no one attending this juice bar. Like, there's no employee. It's just kind of a weird sight to behold. These types of, like... It reminds me of, like, the lemon from 16 or something. Um, these kind of, like, mall juice bars that are always in American cartoons or... I guess this is a cartoon made by Canadians, but... the uh, Cartoons in American media, it's not really something that I've experienced with here. We would just, at the most, have an Orange Julius at the mall. Well, and that's that's what that's what I was thinking of, of just... It, it must be, like, an Orange Julius also ran, like a grape Caesar. All right, yeah. Maybe that deserved to be sandbagged. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, an Apple Augustus. I see where you're... I see... I'm picking up what you're putting down. Man, oh, jeez. Sometimes I I really can't compete with you. It's... It's no, it's no contest who the, who the, who the true wordsmith is here sometimes on the show. Um, Apple Augustus. Well, that's, sometimes I'm just like, what is the episode going to be titled? And then other times it's like, well, there it is. It can't be anything else. We see, yeah, so Binky kind of goes over to this juice bar. Again, it's just like, you know, there's a juice bar in Power Rangers because they needed a place for the Power (laughs) Rangers to hang out. Ernie's juice bar. But... Are these real? Is this like a... Yeah, I I, I don't have a good answer for you because I just never really thought about it too hard. I'm looking back. George is drinking from a juice box. Yeah, he seems to have brought his juice with him. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So he didn't order this juice from the juice bar. You don't buy... 
Like, they wouldn't need juice in these giant clear jars if they had them in boxes. What the heck is going on here, Will? And where is the employee? This... Why is George at the mall unattended? Well, it's like you don't bring your beer with you when you go to the bar. So this is this is really like... Th- it feels like, to me, this business is going under, and George basically needed a place to sit and drink his juice. BYOJ. BYOJ. Um, so, yeah, Binky is afraid that, and is convinced that George has seen him hold his mom's hand, and he's just like, you know, you didn't see anything, and George literally didn't see anything. He doesn't understand what the big deal is, but Binky's afraid that he's going to use it against him. In fact... He has a nightmare after he goes home <laughs> that Mr. Ratburn assigns him to his own high chair. And he says, and I love Ratburn's voice. It's like, it's for boys who still hold hands with their mommies. And everybody <laughs>, laughs at him. It's again, it's a very Arthur fear. We said before, yes. Arthur doesn't want to be considered a baby. And now neither does Binky. I mean, I think it's something that a lot of boys that age are are concerned with but it's funny to see this happen with binky it's I, i'm of two minds of this because like i enjoyed this dream sequence i think the mr rapper performed i the dream sequence made me laugh the high chair in the classroom the whole situation <laughs> about you know if you get spotted holding hands with your mother you have to you know sit in the high chair in public now um but it also feels a little too much like well-worn territory you know i think back to season one where arthur's literally having imagination sequences where he's being pushed around in a stroller again and he's got a like a soother in his mouth and how how much that was like a core of arthur's character that he didn't want to be perceived as a baby and now to see them doing it again with binky i don't know there's other things that they could do with binky that that speak more that are more uniquely binky like when you know he tries to be perceived as tough when he, he actually is quite uh um compassionate and and kind of sensitive uh, you know he wants to hide that he's into ballet and and that he, he he didn't want people to know that he could read so binky has all these kind of anxieties that he needs to maintain in images and so it's a little on the nose to be like and he doesn't want to be a baby either like they, they there's reasons they could make it so they don't want him to be seen with his mom in public uh, they don't have to just go back to kind of arthur's whole thing which is that he doesn't want to be a baby. Now, I get it. Lots of, like you said, lots of young men. Lots of everybody. I think you get to a certain age, nobody wants to be seen as a baby. That's true. Um, but it's just something that they usually do with Arthur, so it's interesting to see them do it with Binky here. And it almost feels like it's a little plug-and-play, except for the fact that they go for the fact that Binky is a bully. So And they, mm. and they play into that mm. a lot more, as we'll see. Binky has a thing here where he's trying to, he wants to wear his tie to school because he wants to be perceived <laughs> as an adult, which we, we which we have seen Binky do before somewhat successfully. Um, Binky, he, he denies help with his tie. I have to admit, I still can't tie a tie. No, like, I can't. You know what? I'll, I'll keep it a buck with you, Will. While we're being vulnerable, I can't tell a lie. I'll keep it 100 I, too, uh, cannot tie a tie. Now, if I tried to watch a YouTube video in front of a mirror, I probably could get it done at the end of the day, but I definitely can't do it off jump. I, If I'm going to a formal event, usually the formal events I've gone with, you know, when I, at the office, I dress uh, business casual, so no tie needed, just put yep. on a nice shirt. Um, but So usually when I'm wearing a tie, I'm going to something pretty formal. 
And in those cases, I either have uh, a date who knows how to tie a tie or a friend who knows how to tie a tie or my parents who know how to tie a tie. So I've yet uh, needed to tie a tie myself. Well, and all my ties in my closet are pre-tied. So they're mm. ju- you just have to slip them on over your head. Um, mm. but, yeah, but yes, I, you know, I do have to admit that is, that is the case. Um, so Binky, <laughs> he ties his tie too tight uh, around, his, around his neck, and so he needs it loosened. Um, yeah, so he's wearing like a, like, not a, like a shirt and tie. He doesn't have a full suit on, but he wants to be you know, tre- <laughs> treated as an older, an older boy. In fact, he keeps menacing George. He keeps coming up to him and being like, remember, you didn't see anything. And George, again, is just like, I didn't. And he's even menacing him to the point where he's like, anything, anytime that George opens his mouth on any occasion, like, might be him outing Binky. So he, like, kind of gives him the stare, and George just straight up won't speak. In fact, he gets in trouble uh, raising his hand in class, and uh, he doesn't say anything, and Mr. Ratburn stays, makes him stay after class, which I kind of thought was not great on Mr. Ratburn's part, but, you know. No, I I was like, what is George getting in trouble for here? So George raises his hand to answer, what is the capital of Sweden? Which, Will, do you know off job? Without looking it up, what the capital... Is it Sweden or Switzerland? I think it's Sweden. What's the capital? (laughs) Stockholm? Oh, I... Correct. Wow. Okay. You know, your geography. Very good. Um, But, like, is that you know, cause for staying after class that you raised your hand and then you thought to yourself, actually, I don't know the answer and you put your hand back down. Maybe he thought he was being smart, like being a smart aleck by like but, refusing to respond. I don't but, know. But uh, Ratburn, Ratburn should know his class better than that. George isn't a smart aleck, at least not at this point in his life. I don't know. It, it's it, The punishment didn't fit the crime. Although it did kind of, I, I do like what we got here of just like, uh, you know, Binky kind of walks away and he's just like, okay, good. George is going to keep mum about this. And then he has this, and I keep, I keep harping on this because it's like, this is something that Arthur would do. Binky has this like major anxiety about like, oh no, now George is mad at me that I made him stay late after class. And so he's going to have this completely fake conversation with Wally <laughs> where Wally convinces him to blab about Binky holding his mom's hand to get back at him. So now he yeah. has to like silence George even more somehow. Oh, before we move yes. on, I just yeah, want to yeah. say, uh, cause I was not sure. I, I was a little bit like uh, suspicious of this episode, you know, being like, Oh, this is kind of well-worn territory the, you know, they don't want to be a baby, but I do like what they did with this whole angle of Binky trying to be perceived as an adult is very funny. First of all, everybody knows the, you know, Ben Shapiro style debate me. I wear a suit to school kind of kid. <laughs> every every school has the kid who brings his briefcase to school. So it's funny to think about Binky embodying that archetype. But second of all, the things that he does to appear adult, it's obviously a child's perspective of what an adult is. So he brings a briefcase instead of a book bag. He wears a suit. He's reading the newspaper. Um, and he's like reading the coupon section. <laughs> that was um, so funny. And, and, and you know they're like, Binky, why are you reading the coupon section? And he's like, there's lots of things you could learn from the coupon huh. section. Twenty, Fasc- 20 fascinating cents. art. <laughs> yeah, he goes twenty cents off cat food. What does that tell you about the economy? <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Binky's so good for those. So Binky goes to George's house after school, where George is playing go fish with Arthur. But he's he's taken. Binky's bullying so far that he is just not even talking in his own home. He's uh, writing his responses to Arthur on paper. Um, B- Binky comes and he tries to pay off George. He says he gives him 
I forget what he gives him, except he gives him raisins. He gives him a box of raisins. I know you love them because I'm always taking them from you. And he tries so, to give him a flower that's already wilted because uh, he's uh, jammed his foot in the door to try and give it to him. That's right. Um, and so Binky, again, he like pay, pays off George. He's like begging to be to let him pay him off outside of his house. And then he has this imagination that George is just going to blab to the tough customers who we haven't talked about yet. So the tough customers see that Binky is like talking to George when he normally doesn't and thinks that he's hiding something, which he is. And so they're determined to find out what it is. And Binky thinks that George will blab to Molly. Um, And again, I love this imaginary dialogue where George is like, I have the, I have proof that Binky was holding his mom's hand. And Molly says, you have proof? This changes everything. Binky is a baby. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it goes to show it's a really almost subtle way of conveying that, like, Binky's imagination sequences have no um, kind of place in reality whatsoever. And so it, 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 it speaks to how the anxious mind operates, right? Um, if, if this was real and George did present the raisins as evidence, Molly would probably be like, what are you talking about? This is, like, insane. But... In Binky's anxiety-addled mind, she is um, assured that that is absolute proof that he is a baby. In fact, she had already presupposed he was a baby in the first place, and this has now sealed the deal, right? It's the worst-case scenario. It's very it's very accurate. Uh, to it's, it's just funny to hear it out loud, because usually you don't simulate the dialogue word-for-word word in your head when you're going through this kind of anxiety, but to hear it done that way is just like, you see how ridiculous it can get. Um, I, I should also note, there was, a good, there was a good delivery from Arthur's voice actor. Like, when Binky uh, knocks on George's door, George still isn't speaking, and Arthur says, um, George says he isn't here. Oh, wait, I wasn't supposed to say that. <laughs> um, so the tough customers trying to figure out what secret Binky could be keeping from them. And this leads to them going to his music recital. Um, they have a guess. They've just like, or sorry, I should say Rattles has a guess that it has to do with the recital. Maybe he's playing something really romantic like Debussy. <laughs> <laughs> Rattles. This is, this is a, another favorite subplot is how cultured Rattles secretly is. And there's another good Rattles one. Um, we eventually go to the music recital. It goes off without a hitch. No problem. Uh, they, they, they give him a standing ovation. Rattles says, for a tough customer, he plays with such sensitivity and passion. And he's even moved to tears at one point. And they eventually confront him there's been a there's a another instance in this episode where binky thinks that he hears it's 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 after he holds his mom's hand for the first time and george sees him and then like a an animatronic wizard in another mall display like laughs and he thinks that it's like laughing at him and we follow this again because outside of the music recital at school um you know he he talks to George again. It's like you didn't you didn't see anything. Keep quiet. And then like the tough customers are looking at him, and he's getting nervous. And then a car, like he hears laughter again. He thinks that it's his expense, but it's a truck called Crazy Clown Catering that just has a megaphone on its roof and just broadcasts laughter as it drives around. Mm, mm. That's so weird. <laughs> 
Do, do you think this has something to do with perhaps the clown prince of crime? Are you saying that this is some sort of Joker-fied front? Um, the car is crazy. Not only, I'm looking, I, I It's crazy with a K, Lucas. It's crazy with a K. Both crazy and clown is with a K. This is, we're talking crazy clowns from outer space style, crazy clowns. Um, I have it paused on this van. This van is really wild. It's got a bowler hat. There is a giant clown nose on the front. Um, and we don't really get a good look at the driver. Uh, I was hoping maybe it would be like, for instance, Pickles. Pickles the Clown has well, tried to go go into business against the Reeds. Um, but well, it, and that's and that's what I was like a, that's what I was thinking of. Like, do you know what I mean when I say Garfield eats in Toronto? Yes, yes. So I think this might be a Garfield eats situation with Pickles. Like somebody <laughs> is licensing the Pickles brand, and it's like some. Some some investor who has way overinflated the pickles brand and is moving into crazy clown catering. Yeah, we we don't get a good look at him. I'm trying to remember. Doesn't Arthur's dad dress as a clown sometimes? Um, he has in the past. It's it's for like the he said in the season one episode. It's like for the children's charity benefits. So it's like mm. every once in a blue moon. I think it was. I don't think it's specifically him that yeah. needs to be a he clown. He wouldn't change. He he wouldn't change the livery or the wrap on his car though. That's like yeah. This no. is quite the mystery. We we got to know is crazy clown catering in the Arthur Wiki? Uh, and if not, <laughs> our listeners need to get on the clay the case. Yes, absolutely. So Binky, um, he go he feels that Molly and Rattles have found it him is. out. Okay, it is. <laughs> oh, it is great. Yes. Um. So Binky thinks that Molly and Rattles have found him out, and so he just kind of falls on the sword. He sticks up for himself, and he's just like, "Look, I know you're laughing about me because I hold hands with my mom, but just go ahead and laugh at me. I love my mom." He l- really turns on a dime and bucks up here, but. Molly and Rattles are like, what are you talking about? That's what you were so weird about? I hold my mom's hand all the time. Like, it's just it's just not a problem. And the episode ends where Binky's mom asks him if he wants to go get Chinese food. Because earlier in the episode, he explicitly says to her, like, don't hold my hand. I'm not a baby anymore. And, you know, she, she's a little bit like, if you'd rather go off with your friends, that's okay. And Binky wholeheartedly says, no. Like, what are you talking about? Going to get Chinese food with my mom, dad, and baby sister sounds like the best idea in the world to me. And so Binky loves his mom and overcame this weird anxiety that uh, he really visited upon himself. And things will certainly go from here. We'll talk about the second part of this Arthur episode right (laughs) after this. Hey everybody, it's Lucas from the Elwood City Limits podcast, and if you love ECL, there's a couple of ways to keep up with us. You can go to facebook.com slash elwoodcitylimits, at ECL podcast, that's our Twitter. We take questions on Tumblr, it's elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. There is an Instagram as well, Elwood City Limits on Instagram. Of course, if you want to donate to the show and get exclusive content, whether that's our full-length commentary of the Arthur movies, our brand new a bi-weekly PBS Kids review show as well as our video game movie reviews with the Sonic movie review and Pikachu movie review you can check out patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits uh, and that's also going to get you access to the Elwood City Limits Discord which me and Will like to post in from time to time and if you want that sweet sweet Elwood City Limits merch check out teespring.com slash stores slash Elwood hyphen city hyphen limits hyphen store 
You can listen to the podcast at libsyn.com slash Elwood City Limits, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and there's other podcast apps like Stitcher. And if we're not on your favorite app, let us know. And where can you let us know? Well, that's going to be at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. That's also where you can send us a question and we'll read it on the show. Finally, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do so is to tell a friend who likes animation or Arthur or just podcasts in general and to go to our iTunes page and rate us out of five stars. Apparently, that helps podcasts out. Bye, everybody. So Whistling in the Wind begins with the Tibbles because it's a Tibbles episode, but they're kind of it's kind of like the Tibbles as a vaudeville act. Vaudeville, half vaudeville, half like slam poetry. I was trying to like place this. Uh, people kind of doing um, a, a poetry reading with the bongos. You know, that's a, a cultural touchstone we're all familiar with. But there's also a banjo. And yeah, they have like kind of vaudeville-esque hijinks as well. It was kind of weird trying to figure out what this is even um hearkening back to or if this is just like something that the writers wholly came up with i don't know it was interesting though yeah and it was another way to present them because it's like they're being presented as like a stage show of like there's nothing better than being twins and they do like little jokes and asides and they're both playing music but the cold open itself ends with both of them going to do like a whistle and uh tommy can do the whistle and timmy cannot and that's that's what this episode's about. So like that's 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 the whole episode. You know, sometimes a cold open will like hint towards the theme of an episode. No, this episode's literally about Timmy can't whistle. And that's where we start is that we find out that Tommy has learned how to whistle, specifically how to whistle with his fingers. So not just the pursed lips whistle, but like the putting the fingers in the mouth and whistling. Um, which means that they aren't exactly the same. <laughs> this episode starts off with they um at DW's preschool, they had an assignment to make a sock puppet. And DW is a little bit, a, a little bit unhappy with hers. Miss Morgan said her sock puppet was fine, but she imagines that Arthur probably did a better one than her when he was her age. It's a very, it's a little bit unnatural for DW to have this kind of hang up. And it's yeah. especially unnatural because it leads into the Tibbles being like, ah, too bad you have an older sibling. We're twins. It's awesome. And it's like, so this was clearly just a way to like crowbar the Tibbles into involving themselves into DW's world and just getting the plot started. And I just found that kind of funny. Well, it's weird, too, because it almost acts as like a reintroduction to the Tibbles as a whole. Like, right. everything that the Tibbles say about... I, I feel like we even know that Tommy is two minutes older. Like, this has been something that's been well-established. I and think hey, so. It, it, Arthur's like the Pokemon games, right? Um, it's it's not the audience that's always played it that they're catering to. It's a whole new audience who has never played the earlier ones. Arthur's the same way with every new season. You know, they're not uh, making these episodes for us. They're making them for folks who have probably never seen those previous Arthur episodes. But I don't know. The Tebbles are pretty self-explanatory. Like, it's obvious they're twins. Um, it's obvious that they always hang out with each other and kind of always do the same things. So I agree that this was a little bit clunky and felt a little stilted. Yeah. And, but in the way that I found endearing in a sense of like, it's, I mean, it's Arthur. So I'm never, I'm not really going to be offended a lot of the times. So I was just like, ah, that's kind of funny, uh, how they had to get the ball rolling this way. 
they also say that like Miss Morgan didn't like their sock puppets at all, and they show them these sock puppets look really cool. Like they're both, um, they both appear to be like female coded because they have like blonde pigtails, but they're like these green sock puppets. Their features are all like melting or they look like they're decaying. They, they look a bit zombie ish. They look a bit monstrous and like the sheer style of it. I actually thought it was really cool. One of them has an eyeball hanging out of its socket. Yeah. That was actually a little bit like, Dis- not disturbing, but like a little bit grosser than Arthur normally goes, even if it is just sock puppets. Yeah, like, like yeah, they show up the sock puppets, and then we eventually get to how Tommy knows how to whistle and Timmy can't, and it's the one thing they can't do. Um, I okay. can so yeah, go ahead, a- ask away. Arthur's now been around long enough that I have a little theory here. Yeah, it is now curbing concepts from other contemporary children's shows at the time arthur season 15 debuted in october 10th 2011 right you may or may not be familiar will with peppa pig season 3 episode 28 i'm not one of the most infamous episodes of peppa pig of all time whistling uh you might have seen the clip where peppa pig asked Susie, can you whistle and then uh, Susie whistles. She goes, it's easy. Just put your lips together and blow. And then Peppa can't do it. And then he hangs up the phone. Fo- he or she, I don't really, I do, I'm not too familiar with Peppa Pig. But Peppa hangs up the phone incensed at Susie. This is a classic uh, Peppa bit that's been shared out of context many times. I would say it's, it's Peppa Pig's version of Arthur hitting DW. Uh, and it aired September 24th, 2010. So this whole episode where the whole kind of um, conflict is that the one character doesn't know how to whistle and it's making them resentful uh, is, is is actually predates Arthur here. Well, kind of. I think this is, I, I would argue that this is a case of um, great minds thinking alike because they may have aired close to each other, but remember... Arthur's production schedule is often Ooh. a couple of years before its air a, date. A full year, though. A full year. September 24, 2010. The Arthur episode dropped October 10th, 2011. So it would have, if it's a full year before the air date. Maybe even right more. Right around the same time. Maybe even more. I don't know. But it's it's uh, it's just interesting that Peppa, for the first time in, that I can think of, again, I'm no Peppa expert, beat Arthur to the punch. In a sense, and it certainly has, uh, I mean, I, I I think I might have seen this before, but I'm not certain, um, but it has certainly stuck around in popular consciousness more than this Arthur episode has, so you got to give it to Peppa Pig on this one, at least in that field. Um, t- so Timmy is, you know, bothered that he can't do this whistle. He tries to ask Tommy how to do it, and it, it again, it's the bluntness that you get from four-year-olds of... Just like Timmy trying to do it, and Tommy says, you're doing it wrong. That's the problem. And there's no real effective way that he can teach him how to whistle, which is true of whistling. But Tommy also says that he is not a teacher. And apparently pretending to be a teacher is against the law, and he'd go to jail if he impersonated one. So he just just cannot teach his brother how to whistle. We then get a dream sequence. This goes on. This is a couple of minutes long. And <laughs> it's it's just, it, like, I don't even say that, like, quality-wise. It's just, like, it's just weird to have dream sequences that are 
this lengthy. Timmy has this dream because Tommy says to him, like, if they ever, um, you know, something of like, if Tommy ever went to jail, then Timmy couldn't break him out because he wouldn't be able to signal him because he can't whistle. Like, something like that. So that burrows into Timmy's brain. We get this minutes-long dream where he goes to break Tommy out of jail, but he can't whistle. And not only does that hinder him in terms of helping Tommy escape, but then Tommy actually overlaps him when they escape because the 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 prison guards bring the dogs, and Tim, uh, Tommy whistles and causes both the dogs and the guards to sit. Like, he commands them to sit, and they listen. What's more, as they escape, Tommy can drive, and Timmy can't. And that's another notch against him. And they are chased down by police, and they kind of get cornered a little bit. And then Tommy, out of nowhere, puts on this, like, red Mask of the Red Death variant Batman attire. This, like, not Batman attire. And then he's just like, again, is like, oh, this, uh, you don't have superpowers either, do you? Well... All right, I'll uh, I'll try and break you out of jail in a couple years, and then leaves Timmy for the cops. Yeah, he says that that, that two minutes really makes a big difference. Yeah, apparently so. Bet- between their birth, and, and and yeah, like I said, this like I was almost checking my watch of like how long has this been going on? It's just you know normally they would get over the idea they're trying to go for, but this just kind of went went on a little bit, and t- it again took some really strange turns. Um, in terms of just, like, didn't expect Tommy to be wearing a red Batman suit, uh, didn't expect him to be driving a car, didn't expect the <laughs> the prison escape dream to have, like, a three-act structure. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's cool, like, I, I, there's a lot of cool, like, Arthur with dream sequences, you can tell that the art is a chance for them to really have a lot of fun and be, like, more expressionist than they usually are when it's just, like, the school. For instance, when um, Timmy, I believe, is the one hanging and, like, the camera, for lack of a better term, is, like, looking up at him and you can see the perspective of, like, the window and it all looks very, like, expressionist and these these kind of harsh angles. Everything looks uh, um, a little bit unreal and kind of uh, crazy and elevated because they're, they're escaping this prison in this fantastical scenario. But I was also a little bit, like... Sometimes, okay, go back to the episode we just watched, I Want to Hold Your Hand, right? Yes. The dream sequence is like, Binky doesn't want to be a baby. And this dream sequence, I suppose, is supposed to convey that Tibby is jealous that Tommy can whistle, but it's really like, like kind of, if that's the, the, the point they're getting across, it's kind of a weird outside way to do that. It's like, okay, him being jealous that he can't whistle is represented by... Oh, and I also wouldn't be able to be uh, a live a life of crime, and I also wouldn't have superpowers, and I wouldn't be able to command police officers to sit at whim, and I couldn't drive because I can't <laughs> whistle. Like it's just it, the logical. It it doesn't really matter because it's a dream sequence and it's supposed to be absurd and it's a children's show. But I was trying to follow the A to B to C, and I was like, this is this is really strange. Yeah, and it's just inexplicable why it's the why it's quite this featured. But now that I say that, it's just like, well, really, there's not a lot else left to the episode. Yeah, as, that's as probably can... why. <laughs> <laughs> so as as we go through here, um, and I will say that 
I'm I, I'm not you know this isn't necessarily picking a side here. It's just like Tommy can whistle and Timmy can't, and Timmy feels bad about it. To Tommy's point, whistling is hard to teach. Uh, we see. I don't know how to whistle. Bust really okay, and 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 again, it's just like okay, like I'm not. It's not mystifying. It's like you don't know how to whistle. It's like you either get it or you don't. And once you get it, it's hard to not get it, and or to impart it to other people. Like Timmy tries to learn from Buster and Brain how to whistle, and Buster tries to give him like the point by point and how to do it, and it's like, but when you try to explain how to do it with words, it's like explaining a joke. It's just like it doesn't really work, and but it's also you need to learn how to do it somehow i don't know it's one of those things that's really like i can whistle but people have been telling me for years how to blow bubble gum and i cannot do it i just don't know what there's i don't know what you're saying when you explain it in words it just doesn't make sense to me um and brain goes so far he breaks up the phrenology a little bit uh, Timmy apparently has the wrong mouth shape for whistling, so he just can't do it no matter how hard he tries. And we go back to the Tibbles place. Tommy is entertaining Mrs. Tibble with his whistling. He's actually a pretty talented whistler. He's, like, whistling a symphony there for a little bit. I don't know if it was Beethoven or Mozart, but it was recognizable. And I'm like, whoa, Tommy's actually got something here. So Timmy is... You know, continues to be upset about it. Eventually, he just he, they just get into a fight about it, as the Tibbles do. And it was actually interesting to see Mrs. Tibble being so such an ineffective mediator in action here, because we've always inferred that Mrs. Tibble, as a parental figure, I believe she's their grandmother. I want to say, um, is probably very ineffective in terms of ways to raise them because they're two little hellions but literally seeing her just being like stop that this instant and just like doing nothing to separate them is like okay well that's that's where that comes from so they get into this physical fight on the lawn and they both like either bump heads or something and they both end up loosening their front teeth and that's the key to (laughs) then all of a sudden Timmy's able to whistle and What's more, Tommy's ability to whistle is affected in such a way that it doesn't sound at like a it was before it was like a clear, a crystal clear whistle. Now it's like this unpleasant low whistle <laughs> that goes from delighting Mrs. Tibble to like like recoiling. It's like he it's like he's playing the unholy note or something. And it my, almost sounds like a little bit of a scream or something. It does. So my my observation is it sounds like a woman's scream filtered through a Super Nintendo sound chip. <laughs> it's like if you did that, it sounds a little bit like what their whistle and the and the episode just ends with them being like, Yeah, this is cool. We can whistle and it annoys everybody. And that's it. Like if we just see them at school and everybody is upset adds how awful their whistling is and yeah so now they can both whistle cool <laughs> yeah i don't have much to say because no, there isn't really much to say like that's the end no exactly it's that's it man so now we now we talk about it in full just two very I, th- I think beyond you know our objective our our subjective feelings on it both very odd episodes to come back to. So I want to hold your hand. Lucas, what did you think? Uh, I, I have mixed... I, I liked the second half of I Want to Hold Your Hand much more than I liked the first half. When they were really getting into, you know, 
Binky's anxious about being a baby. I was like, oh, you know, we've been here, done that. But I did really like the angle of Binky attempting to be an adult uh, in a very childlike way by wearing a suit to school with his briefcase. I also liked, you know, his threat of intimidation of violence at George and George kind of taking a vow of silence and the implications of that. Um, I, I liked the sequence where uh, they're sort of talking through the door um, and, you know, Arthur accidentally spills the beans, reveals George is there. I like, um, Binky's anxieties being made manifest. I think that's really a highlight of the episode when you see what's going on in Binky's thought bubbles and you see just how, uh, anachronistic they are, um, when you put them against reality. Um, and I like the way it ties up. It ties up very sweet where he's like, I would love to have Chinese food with my mom and my family. So, I don't know, it's not like an episode that I'm going to remember, I, I would more say it's an episode that surprised me, because I was kind of ready to get off on a negative start with it. What would you say, Will? I liked it fine, it was, you know, fun to return to, usually like a Binky episode, but yeah, it was, it, and, and all of the comparisons I made to Arthur, like, not a bad thing, I'm not saying that Arthur has, like, has cornered the market on anxiety or anything, it's totally fine to have another character do this, it was just a little odd to see and think about um the actual thing that binky's worried about yeah I, I do understand it it just goes to the lengths that it goes to are both funny and a little bit like oh come on but you know anxiety works that way it's a very low stakes episode but i i i liked it fine there were i i laughed at a couple of parts of it um yeah it's it was just a fun frivolous little Arthur thing. I, I may not think about it for too long, but it's it entertained me enough while I was around. Uh, the Tibbles one, Whistling in the Wind, again, some unusual touches uh, to make this a little bit more memorable than it would be otherwise. And, you know, talking about it blow by blow, there's really not a lot here, you know? <laughs> it's, 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 very, it's very thin. And I find that, I feel like we've said that before for some Tibble-focused episodes. And this is really, it, it's, I always find it interesting to talk a little bit more about them as characters, and even in this sense to try to make them their own individual characters. You know, we've done that before where, like, we've literally separated them from each other and we see that, like, oh, without Tommy, Timmy's actually kind of bearable. And then it's just together that they are really, you know, they create this unholy force. Um, this one didn't really do that. And then it's also based around the idea of whistling, which it's, you know, it's if it's it's that old thing. It's like if I had two nickels for every time that uh, animated children's cartoon had a episode about whistling, it'd actually probably be more than Peppa Pig and Arthur. But it's so specific that it's just like, okay, well, kids around that age learning to whistle, I, I guess. It's, I really, honestly, I don't know what to make of it. Like, there are parts of it that I think are kind of interesting, either visually, obviously, or are just a little funny or strange. And then the rest of it is like, this is barely feels like an episode. And, and so I, I, I don't know how I feel. I guess I'm kind of in the middle, but like kind of just left scratching my head. Yeah, I didn't really like it. I, I, I like the sequence where just kind of for the sheer absurdity of it, where Tommy is breaking out of prison. Um, but besides that, I was not a big fan of this episode. I found this latter half when he's just kind of going to all these people to learn how to whistle really boring. Um, and everything else was just kind of like, 
I know the Tibbles. I know their whole deal. I know that, you know, they do everything the same. And we've seen episodes where it's like, okay, now what if we tried to make them a little bit different? Uh, and we've seen that done better in the past. So, yeah, I wasn't really a fan of this episode. I totally get it. And I, I just am more bemused by it than, like, active, than like disliking it in any sense. But I, I, I totally think that you're not far off the mark there, for sure. Well, that's okay. I mean, it's not that our return to Arthur has to be a big monumentous occasion. Sometimes you just get a couple of weird ones, and that's okay. I We usually like it when Arthur goes a little bit off the wall, and I'm sure that we have more of that coming. As we get back into, well, we're into the school year now for a lot of you, I'm sure. We're into, uh, you know, the getting into the fall very soon. And thank you very much for listening to Elwood City Limits once again. Sorry to keep you waiting. We did, you know, we do have to take a break every now and then. And if you're a patron, you didn't miss a beat. And you won't because coming up next week, it is for the kids time again. We're talking about Dinosaur Train, one that I've been very interested to look at a little bit closer. And we're going to find out just what it's all about. I mean, those are two great words together, two great concepts. I'm interested to hear more. We will be back for Elwood City Limits in two weeks. Uh, we're going to be talking about Buster's Secret Admirer and The Last King of Lamland as we delve deeper into Season 15. Once more, and I, I know, did this at the top of the show, but vote.thecoast.ca. You have until Sunday, September 18th to put in your vote. Thank you sincerely to everyone who has voted for us once again. I know that this is our drum that we beat every year, and you'll get to, you'll get a little bit of a break from it after Sunday. But for now, please vote for us if you're hearing this before the 18th. And thank you if you did vote for us. And the rest shall be up to fate. And yeah, then that's and that's gonna be it. We're gonna we're gonna keep on keeping on with the Patreon and with uh, Elwood City Limits. Thanks a lot for waiting for us, and uh, we hope you have a great fall ahead of you as the spooky days get closer. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... Raisins. I know you love them, because I'm always taking them from you. (laughs) We'll see you next time.